Oh Hey, We're the Misery Machine. Oh Hey. I'm Drewby. I'm Yurgi. And today we are going to be doing Futoshi Matsunaga because we've been getting a lot of listeners from Japan. We figured we'd do another one of these because these are some of the weirder cases I've ever heard. They really are, and I kind of like just doing stuff from Japan anyway. Yes, it's very interesting. But first, before we get into that, if you're listening on YouTube, please like and subscribe. It helps us. It goes a real long way with the algorithm. We've had a lot more new listeners come in lately, and I want to get this out there even more. Also, if you're listening on Apple Podcasts, please leave a five-star and written review, and we will shout you out and read your review at the end of the podcast. But without further ado, this is Fatoshi Matsunaga. Futoshi Matsunaga is a Japanese serial killer who both defrauded and tortured his victims in what is collectively known as the Kita Kyushu serial murder incident. Matsunaga was convicted of six counts of murder and one count of manslaughter between 1996 and 1998 and sentenced to die by hanging. He murdered his victims with an accomplice, Junko Ogata, who received a life sentence. So this is already unlike most serial murders, is that there's actually allegedly a serial killer duo. There's theories on just how much he was involved or was coerced, but we'll get into that. So Matsunaga's crimes were so atrocious that most Japanese media were not willing to report the details. The Japan Times reported that prosecutors said the case is without comparison in the criminal history of our country. Several writers, including Ryuzo Saki, published the details of the crimes. Futoshi Matsunaga was born in the Kokurakita ward in the city of Kita Kyushu in Fukuoka Prefecture and grew up in Yanagawa. Matsunaga received good grades in school school and had a charming personality, but tended to exhibit disciplinary problems. He was transferred to another high school after engaging in a relationship with a junior high school girl. So from what I understand, he was above the legal age of consent and she was far below it. He married at 19 and had a son at that period of time. Despite being married, Matsunaga was involved with at least 10 mistresses. At least 10. In October of 1982, during his marriage, he became involved with Junko Ogata, one of his former schoolmates from Yanagawa. In 1984, Matsunaga promised to marry Junko, but her mother, Shizumi Ogata, did not approve of the relationship because of Matsunaga's abuse of her daughter. Matsunaga raped Shizumi as a result. In 1985, Matsunaga convinced Junko that her family hated her because of a suicide attempt and persuaded her to move in with him. That same year, Matsunaga also purchased a building in which he could operate a futon business. Afterwards, he began to electrically shock employees on the third floor. Matsunaga would sometimes suddenly shout towards other men saying things like, There's a spirit behind you. It's sucking away your fortune. He also made references to religious terms like samsara and kami. By 1992, Matsunaga had stolen 180 million yen through fraud or blackmail. He and Junko evaded police capture and were put on Japan's most wanted list. So from what I've read, there's not a whole lot on here that's been translated to English, but he was defrauding people's pensions. He's defrauding his mistresses. So what I heard, he inherited over what would equate to a million US dollars from one of his mistresses who, she, who apparently committed suicide allegedly. allegedly and the most interesting thing about a lot of these peoples that were dead I have read is they all contained human shit inside of their stomachs yeah there was human shit in their human stomach shit the first one they found it was weird that she had just randomly killed herself so young and left all her money to this guy even though she had a family and even though she had a family and they found 
found human shit in her stomach. So the police requested that Matsunaga provide a stool sample, which he refused and was not legally obligated to provide. So they had to let him go. He apparently had several brushes with the law over this period of time and they couldn't touch him for whatever reason. So Samsara and Kami are two different things. So Samsara is from the Hindu religion. Basically, in a nutshell, it's the idea of reincarnation that when you die, you become another being and the spiritual life is very cyclical. There being no afterlife. But Kami is comes from Shintoism and I'm not very familiar with Shintoism, but I believe Kami loosely translates to the word God if you're translated to English. In their case, it means something a lot more loose like holy powers or things like that. But I'm not too familiar mm. with Shintoism. No, me neither. I want to be. Then I'd be able to explain this better. So anyway, Matsunaga lived in a condominium in Kokurikiruku. His first victim was a married woman with three children. In April of 1993, he convinced her to leave her husband and run away with him, telling the woman that Junka was his sister. One of the children died under mysterious circumstances in September of 1993. Her two other children went to live with her father and grandfather the following month. During their relationship, Matsunaga defrauded the woman for 11.8 million yen. She died mysteriously in March 1994, and the police were unable to prove that Matsunaga had killed the woman or her child. So what I heard about this is the woman killed herself by hanging, and the child, who was about eight years old, had been so distraught that the child also killed themselves, and they both, again were found with shit in the the stomach the the child threw herself off of an eight-story building or something like that as i remember they they lived in some apartment high-rise which isn't uncommon in certain places in japan later that year matsunaga began victimizing kumio toraya and his daughter kumio had previously confided to matsunaga about his previous criminal history matsunaga used this information to blackmail kumio kumio and his daughter were held captive in matsunaga's apartment where matsunaga tortured him with electric shocks forced him to eat his own feces as well as Matsunaga's feces and forced his daughter to bite her father and not just bite his father she literally bit his dick off as she was forced to perform fellatio on him yes this was all for like she apparently there was a videotape recovered where they were basically forced to have sex and all the stuff that I just mentioned and then I also heard he was flayed yeah Kumio was then flayed alive and then I believe butchered. Boiled? Yeah, boiled afterwards. I know he bled out. That was the cause of they, death, yeah, they allegedly. Yeah, they allegedly bled him out. They were trying not to kill him. So this is one sick fuck. So due to this abuse, he died on February 26th of 1996. So Matsunaga being at large for a few years now. Matsunaga convinced Kumio's daughter that she had murdered her father. He told Junko and the girl to dispose of the remains, which were thrown into the sea near the Kunasaki Peninsula after being pulverized. Soon after, Matsunaga found another target in a female acquaintance of Kumio. He convinced the woman that he was a graduate of the Kyoto University and promised to marry her. Instead, he defrauded her of 5.6 million yen. Where do these girls get this money? I know. As before, the woman and her daughter were confined to Matsunaga's apartment. The woman escaped by jumping from the second floor in March 1997. She was put into the care of a mental hospital and her daughter was released. 
following month, Junko left work and did not return. Matsunaga contacted her family, threatening them and blackmailing Shizumi over the 1985 rape. Matsunaga then faked his own suicide, prompting Junko to return, whereupon she was subjected to continued abuse. He also raped Junko's married sister, Ryoko. Junko's family gave 63 million yen to Matsunaga, after which he held them captive and psychologically controlled them in ways similar to the methods of cult leader Shoko Asahara. So I haven't done extensive research on Shoko Asahara, but I know he's responsible for a terrorist attack in Japan. There were sarin gas attacks on a Tokyo subway that was due to him and his cult, which I can't really remember the name of. It Om Shinrikyo. Okay, yes, that that's it. Thank you. <laughs> but but if he tortured people, I'm I'm not really sure. Psychologically controlled, I mean, absolutely, yeah. I'm sure he did. On December twenty first, <laughs> Mike Tyson. <laughs> no, okay. On December 21st, 1997, Matsunaga coerced Junko to shock her 61-year-old father, Takashige, to the point of death. When Shizumi's mental state began to deteriorate, Matsunaga commanded Ryoko and her husband, Kazuya, to strangle her on January 20th, 1998. Several weeks later, he commanded Kazuya to strangle Ryoko while their 10-year-old daughter, Aya, held her down. Matsunaga and Junko then confined Kazuya to a bathroom where he starved to death on April 13th, 1998. Tsunaga then forced Junko and Aya to kill Ryoko's five-year-old son, Yuki. I heard that was done with a chainsaw. Yes, I was heard that he was butchered with a chainsaw while he was still alive. During the trial, Kumio's daughter testified that Matsunaga and Junko had tortured Aya with electricity. Junko refuted this testimony, saying the girl's recollections might have been inaccurate because of guilty feelings about committing her first murder. Kumio's daughter strangled Aya on June 7, 1998. Matsunaga and Ogata dismembered and boiled their victims' remains in pots, then finally disposed of them in washrooms or into the sea. Matsunaga blamed the murders on Junko, who, with their two children, were the only survivors in her family. So this girl killed so many people in her family. And there's other things we have to fill in, too. So, for example, as we said that he owned this futon store, which had a soundproof room in the back. According to police reports, when they killed the five-year-old child with the chainsaw, it was not enough for the soundproof room to muffle. Allegedly, people heard a child's screams on the street, as if that wasn't enough to get the cops involved. Right, a child's screams and a chainsaw. And a chainsaw. But if listening to our Junko Furuta episode taught you anything, it seems the police just... Don't care in Japan? Well, either that or Japanese citizens are like, this isn't my problem, not my business. Right, the whole bystander apathy thing. Right. It seems to be a more common thing there, which is interesting considering crime in general is less common there. I'm interested in this disposing of remains in washrooms. I think I think it means they were boiling them and pulverizing them down to nothing. And then and, flushing them? And they basically flushing them or pouring them down drains. Just imagine... Going down to the corner store and you could, using the toilet there? I mean, you could go to a parking lot where there's a grate and just pour them into the sewer. You know what I mean? I guess so. It's like when they killed Junko's mother, allegedly in the police report, they did not find the body 
the only way they knew that she was killed was that, well, first of all, they found her dentures in the sewer. I read that they had her name on it. Now, is that common practice to have your name on your teeth? I'm not sure. I don't know much about that or dentures in, in general. Maybe, I mean, we have dental records, right? Maybe if you get dentures, there's records of that too. Maybe you get dentures made in the shape of your dental records. I don't know much about this. I'm, I'm only speculating. The other thing that was not mentioned is that Takashige, who's junk his father, he actually escaped and made it to the police. He was telling the police that he was kept in a soundproof room in a torture device where he was electrically shocked, beaten, and forced to eat shit. And forced to eat shit. So the police came up. They already knew who Futoshi Matsunaga was. And Matsunaga said, Oh, this is Junko's father. And he had said that Junko was his sister and that this was also his father and that he was in their care and that he had horrible Alzheimer's dementia. He had like an altered room and that was the room for him. Yeah, where he was kept in there. The chair was for medical needs. Yeah, the chair was for medical needs and the eating shit, he had no idea where that came from. He apologized, said that he had wandered out and allegedly he offered to make a donation to the cop's pension fund and it was just all dropped at that point. I don't know how true that last part is, but that is something I read. And what's funny to me about this is, even if that latter part's not true, how do you not verify that one, this person has dementia, two, that chair is for medical purposes because they did go into his store, they did see the room. How do you not take a look around? There had to be some other forms of evidence there. And why is his altered room for his Alzheimer's needs inside of a back room of a furniture? furniture store. Yeah, and why does it have something that you could shock somebody with? Right. It's the whole thing is quite strange. Yes, it's is incredibly strange. In July 2000, Matsunaga convinced another woman to go away with him, lured by the prospect of marriage. He's really into that, isn't he? I guess so. He did that to Junko also. You know what's crazy to me about this is the fact that he's able to woo these girls with the prospect of marriage, which doesn't seem like a thing that happens here. If anything, it's the opposite. It's men are really worried about never getting married. And it seems like women don't feel like they're lacking prospects. At least that's what I get out of it, having talked to American men and women growing up. Yeah. I don't know why it's the opposite there. It's a different culture out east anyway, also like it in is. Russia. Is it like that in Russia? It is. That's why we have so many um, Russian women that come to marry American Oh, men. is there just more women There's there? There's more women. Uh, there are not a lot of prospects. Like, I definitely don't want to, like, just start talking shit about, like, Russian men or something. No, it's not, it's not a, talking shit, but there is, it's culturally what culturally they're not looking for. Culturally, a lot of them drink. Culturally, it's not what they're looking for. It's what we would describe old-fashioned. Old-fashioned. All of the women are very old-fashioned. A lot of men who are more traditional over here don't see that in Western women right. these days and want that. So that's why you see a lot of these mail-order bride services if you want to, you know, for lack of a better term, call it that, international dating. Basically, yeah. So you see that a lot with Asian people too. So I believe that's kind of... The the whole prospect of war brides. I haven't read up on this in a while, so forgive me if I'm not really getting this right. But from what I understand, especially during wartime, the economy wasn't the greatest thing. And so here was America, this prospect of a good life. And if an American man wanted to take you away with him, that was the opportunity of your lifetime. Yeah. I I don't know how that translates now. 
nowadays. We've talked but... about that. I think that's any time during wartime because that's how my family got here because my Oma married an American soldier over in Germany and he brought her over. Was that post-World War II? post-World War II. Okay. I also have read things about how some women want to marry American men because they feel the culture there is just so restrictive to them. But I feel like that's starting to change over in Japan. Not everyone's a salary man anymore. And although there's still this great pressure to succeed and be something, I don't think it's what it was in, say, the 80s or the I, 90s. I don't think so. It seems like a lot of people from our generation and younger are kind of breaking that culturally. Yeah, I think so too. And not to mention there's a lot of expats that are moving to Japan mm -hmm. and intermingling in, how do I put it, culturally intermingling? Is that a good word for it? They're I think so. They're basically, you know, making friends with people over there. They're introducing American ways of living over there. And I think some people are really finding that an attractive thing. So I really think it's starting to catch on over there. Well, I've noticed that just watching Terrace House. I've been watching that on Netflix. And yeah. if you're not familiar with what that is, it is essentially like the real world, like the show on MTV, but in Japan. And everyone's so much more polite. And I've been watching that. And everyone there is either a student, a model, an actress, someone that works in blogging or something. There's like a, a chef, a snowboarder. Yeah. You don't have any like salary type business people. It's everyone doing things that are a little bit more Western sounding. Yeah. So I, I definitely think there's some influence there. Yeah. In August 2001, she gave her twin children to him and Junko. Jesus. Sounds very cultish. Wow. But, I mean, let's not go on to like another tangent G here. Give your children <laughs> to me. <laughs> That's nuts. Matsunaga and Junko then convinced the woman to give them 20 million yen. Where do people get this money? Telling her that they would need the money to bring up her children. Kumio's daughter, who was being held captive, and by the way, she was held captive, I think, for six or seven years. Yes. Which is crazy. She escaped from Matsunaga on January 30th, 2002, but Matsunaga found the girl on February 15th and took her back into captivity. He then tortured her with electric shocks. On March 6th, the girl escaped from Matsunaga again and reported the crimes to police. She was 17 years old at this time. The police arrested Matsunaga and Junko the next day when they retrieved the girl. The twins and the couple's two children were taken into police protection. I don't believe they're ever identified. Kumio's daughter, from what I read, and I only was able to read this once, I don't know if it's true, but allegedly she is in a mental institution. But I've read other reports as well that she's out of there now. That she is out that of there she now. she is out of there and is starting to adjust more to life as a young adult. Yeah, because I mean, just think your whole teenage years is just completely wiped. A generation has yeah. almost gone by. Because she's about my age. Yeah, th there's a there's an extent of culture shock right. there. The media initially reported only that Matsunaga and Junko had held their victims captive similar to the Fusako Sano case, which I'm not familiar with. I'm not either. I guess this is what we have to look, look up. <laughs> Until the details of the couple's murders emerged, that's when they reported the rest of it. The pair were charged with Aya's murder on September 18th, 2002, Takashige's murder on October 12th, 2002, Shizumi's murder on December 6th, 2002, Yuki's murder on January 11th, 2003, Kumio's murder on February 3rd, 2003, Ryoko's murder on February 25th, 2003, and Kazuya's murder on May 30th, 2003. No murder charges were brought against Kumio's daughter. Junko calmly confessed to her part in the murders, but Matsu Naga insisted that the woman had fabricated their stories about him. Police never recovered any human remains and found no physical evidence. So they relied primarily upon the testimonies of Kumio's daughter, uh, yes, Kumio's daughter and Junko's daughter during the investigation. On September 28, 2005, a district court in Fukuoka sentenced
sentenced Matsunaga and Junko to die by hanging. The court tried six cases but considered that they had not killed Takashige directly but had only injured him by electric shocks which later resulted in his death. The pair appealed the verdict. On September 26, 2007, the Fukuoka High Court upheld Matsunaga's original sentence, but Junko's sentence was changed from death to life imprisonment because Matsunaga had extorted control over Ogata to force her to kill these victims. Remember, this does not include the girlfriends that Matsunaga allegedly had his hand on killing because they had no way to get any sort of DNA sample from him. This is just Junko's family. Yeah, this is just Junko's family. Junko's family from what I understand, were the only people that they were convicted of killing. Yep, so they were charged with Kumio Taraya, the girl's father. So the girl we're talking about is the, the prisoner. The, the one that they held prisoner. Other than that, it's Takashige Ogata, Shizumi Ogata, Ryoko Ogata, Kazuya Ogata, Yuki Ogata, and Aya Ogata. So this is basically Junko's family, but as we mentioned earlier, there were other people. So Matsunaga probably could have had his hand in over 10 murders at this point. So that's important to know. But more. regardless, he did get the death sentence, which he is still awaiting execution from what I understand. Yes. The thing with Junko Ogata, it's how much was she being controlled here? How much was she operating against her will? That's the real debate. And that's ultimately why they ended up giving her life in prison, which to me, I would rather be executed than given life in prison. That's just me. It's very strange that you see that a lot in different cases where you have some sort of abused woman who then starts killing because either they're afraid or they really are just that fucked up. Yeah, it, it's really hard to say because I started this episode off saying this is a serial killer duo. Well, it may not truly qualify if Junko was doing this against her will. And now, of course, the argument is, well, how would you not stop that? Or how would you not put your foot down there? It's your own family. But we, we aren't in these situations. It's hard no. to say. It's hard we to say. But if she would have come forward, she might have gotten immunity for this like we saw in the Hello Kitty murder. Yeah, absolutely she would have. But the other problem is, is that there's not a whole lot of English translated accounts on this. Right. So we don't know exactly what she said in court. We don't know what she's told the media. This is harder than when you follow an English speaking case because you can get the subtle nuances of the case and the, the people involved. But this, this you just kind of have to take at face value, unfortunately. So to know if Junko Gata is just nuts and found her, it hated her family, maybe she was a little brainwashed but ultimately an evil person it's hard to say and now that she's put on the chopping block she decides to throw Matsunaga under the bus who knows one thing that I would like to ask where we're, we're starting to chart in Japan you know if we do have any listeners over there who are familiar with this case because it wasn't that long ago this would have been around like my senior year in high school this all went down yeah. if there are any folks in Japan around the area if you know anything about it let us know yes please message us send us an email miserymachinepodcast at gmail.com our social media is in the description. Contact us however you want. It doesn't matter if your English is not perfect. We really want to hear what you know about this case. Our Japanese we... isn't perfect yet. Yeah, either. Yeah, our Japanese is abysmal. So please message us anything that you want to fill us in on that we missed. We would love to hear about it. Yeah. Last thing about this, there was a Netflix exclusive, I think it's a series. It's called The Forest of Love. It's based on Matsunaga's crimes. It was released on Netflix on October 11th of 2019. And it's still there very recent I haven't watched it yet, but I think it's something that I am going to watch and yeah. see what's up with it. I understand it's based on it, so it's hard for me to watch that and be like, I know what happened in these murders. But it would be interesting to kind of connect the dots back to what I know. 
Anyway, let's have a commercial break and we'll be back. Are you looking for something bizarre that's a break from the bizarre reality that's going on outside? Absolutely. Then check out Ghost Town with comedians Jason Horton and Rebecca Lieb. They cover an array of wild topics, not just true crime. They have stuff like cryptids, ghost stories, the paranormal, the supernatural, urban legends, pop culture fails, and much more. New episodes every Wednesday and Friday. You're bound to find something binge-worthy that you'll love. My favorites so far have been the true crimes of Norwegian black metal and the Kowloon Walled City. You intrigued? Then check out Ghost Town on your favorite podcast platform today. And listen right now. So that's all we've really gotten on the case. Thanks if you've gotten this far. We had a rant that you can hear more about on our Patreon. Basically, we were out power for 36 hours. It was pretty, we've had a bad two days <laughs> Drewby and it I was, it was pretty terrible because we had to get a lot of things done and all those things required electricity and neither of us could work because we're both working from home and require electricity and the internet so we couldn't work on this because of that right there was literally nothing I, I could do I have no acoustic instruments my piano is a MIDI controller so all of these things I just could not do I could just work out read play with kitties be cold be cold not eat and then be worried that we were going to lose the almost $300 worth of meat we have it's probably over $300 yeah. there's so much meat in the freezer just so that way we don't have to go out that often it was hellish and we would just take drives just because we just couldn't handle being in the goddamn apartment anymore so yeah if you want to hear about those adventures and much more you can go to our patreon at patreon.com slash the misery machine or you can make a donation to our paypal check out the patreon tiers and work with us if you want to go through paypal because i understand not everyone likes patreon or if you just want to buy us a cup of coffee or something you know we will hook you up we will find a way to hook you up yergi has found a way to do it yergi's been a good yergi about things like that yes yeah i've made something through (laughs) google drive so we don't have to use patreon if you're not into that which we're not trying to say oh you don't have to if you don't want to. like some people like patreon i just think there's other ways you can do it too we have you set up so that way no matter how you want to do it we've got you covered also if you want to request topics see what we're going to be releasing for episodes as well as just shoot the shit with us you can join our facebook group Mm -hmm. but i I will say go for patreon if you want to our little discord chat has gotten rather fun if you're a part of our facebook group if you like it there our discord is 10 times better we're getting some people in there it just seems more streamlined it's just a lot more fun i'm really enjoying it and i'm really glad that our discord is picked off because i like i like discord in general Also, if you're listening on YouTube, please like and subscribe. It really, really helps us. And if you're listening on Apple Podcasts, if you leave us a five-star review and a written review, I will read it, which I'm about to do. Which, by the way, we have a pod chaser now. So if you do the same thing there, I'll do that as well. Apparently, pod chaser is like the Facebook of podcasts. I don't know. Somebody told me to make one. I don't check it that often, but maybe you can give me a reason to. Yeah, and if you have you know, your own podcast becomes friends with us on Podchaser. <laughs> yeah, right. I guess that's what you do now. I you... guess so. Like the only Because every, everybody we're... has a podcast now. Yeah. The only ones we're following is Marriage is a Scream and... Occulte Veritatis. Occulte Veritatis and Last Podcast on the Left. I couldn't find so. any of like some of the other ones we chum around with, but I'll, I'll have to look. Because they don't have Podchasers yet. Uh, maybe. It, it was a little glitchy, but I will work on it. Anyways, I'll read some of these Apple Podcast reviews. So this first one, this is a really fantastic 
fantastic show. The chemistry between Jubri and Yergi is wonderful and keeps me entertained while listening to heavy topics. True crime isn't typically my bag, but this is one I'll keep listening to. Can't wait for more. Mitch from the Geek Awakens podcast. Thank you, Mitch. And again, like some of the best compliments when people are like, I don't really like true crime, but I'm into this because I don't really like true crime either. I was just one of those nerds that really liked serial killers in high school, and that's it. I don't really listen to many true crime podcasts. I used to. I'm going to get canceled now. No, don't get canceled. (laughs) So I'm the same way. When I first started getting into podcasts, it was Amanda who got me into listening to some true crime ones. And now that we have one, and it's almost been a year. What, August was our first episode, or was it July? I mean, July. Well, yeah, in July, or maybe before July, we recorded a bunch of stuff that still hasn't seen the light of day for legal reasons. It's about one of our former workplaces. Yeah. We still gotta do that. We gotta recover those murders, in the very least. The uh, murders itself I have on Patreon, but yeah. I wanna do our own versions of it. Yes, I agree. But if you wanna hear Yergi's take on them from a previous podcast that she was on, you can go to our Patreon and hear those episodes. Oh yeah, okay, next one. Hosts have a great rapport and content is well presented and entertaining. The audio is crisp and clear. I especially enjoyed the episode about made urban legends from Janine from the Oddentity podcast podcast so shout out to Janine the Thank Audentity you. podcast and for liking the main Urban Legends one to kind of peel back the veil a little bit when we did that I was like man we're really phoning this one in nobody's gonna give a shit about this honestly we didn't have anything prepared we had nothing prepared for that week and I'm like, well, let's just do this. This seems fun and main. I knew about some of them. Yurgi knew about some of them. It was pleasant surprise. I want to go see Andre the Seal, especially. Like once COVID's is close-ish to done, maybe not. Maybe we can just do it anyway. Just go to Rockland. Yeah. I mean, nobody <laughs> lives in Rockland anyway at this time of year. It's just true. A bunch of fishermen. Well, that's not true because a lot of the out-of-staters are going to their shore houses right uh, now and being assholes. True. Stay out of Maine. Just... Keep your COVID in New York. COVID-19, oh, you're get us canceled because we're shaming out of staters. <laughs> Just stay out of Maine right now. You can come like after. I'm mixed. I understand why people want out of staters to stay out of Maine. And granted, we're from Maine. We hate people in general. In general, Maine is unfriendly and hate people from away, away. Maine is so unfriendly. Oh, my fucking God. People are so hostile in Maine. When I was in the Pacific Northwest, I was so shocked to see grown men my age walk past me, smile and say hi. That would never happen here. New England is generally standoffish and cold. Yeah, it really just is. It's just our culture. Yeah. Well, Seattle had its Seattle freeze. So it's a different type of unfriendly. like everybody was like surface level nice but no one wanted to make friends it was weird it was a bunch of like surface level relationships so but that that's a whole nother topic anyway i'm smart and a little depressed so this is right up my alley also the hosts are delightful listen you fool from reed Messerschmidt <laughs> from the irrationally exuberant podcast shout outs to that oh i didn't even finish my thought so i understand people in maine hate outsiders so already you have to think of that that way but for me personally if you're running away because new york's a fucking war zone and you're coming up here as long as you're self-quarantining for like 14 days and you're not going out and spreading it and you're taking this damn seriously i'm okay with it 
But if you're coming up here and you're just willy-nilly, just not giving a fuck, not practicing social distancing, that's a problem. Well, it's it's a problem for me specifically because where it's a war zone in Maine right now is York and Cumberland's. You mean you mean Portland? You mean you, you oh you mean Cumberland York County? York, York, York County. County? Yes, yes. Those are some of the worst. And that's ones. where a lot of the outer staters are going. They're going right into the war zone. Some of them are. Some of them are going up to Washington County, way out east to that part of the ocean. Some yeah. are going down east. Some are going to our neck of the woods. They're just going anywhere that they can where they have a summer home and they're just holing up here for now. Again, you own that property. It's yours. Who am I to say you can't go there? Just be smart about it. That's like all we ask. Yeah. Like we went to Old Orchard that's last time and I drove by a bunch of the condos and it was all out of state people where it was empty just weeks prior. Yeah. It was kind of freaky. It was a little bit freaky, but again... If you're taking this seriously and being safe, because there's a lot of people that still think this is a liberal hoax because you just selectively listen to what Trump says. You should see some of the people, some of the locals in Maine, because if you're an out-of-stater and you're practicing social distancing, I want you here more than I want some locals that are walking around tapping people on the shoulder, getting in people's faces in grocery stores and just fucked up shit like that. I just, that's happening I, to my sister right now. I just see people out playing basketball and shit. I see people walking around in groups. I'm like, what is wrong with you? I swear to God, nobody liked to go out this much in Maine, especially in the Lewiston Auburn area. It's because people are like, oh shit, I can't go out now. Oh fuck, fuck, fuck. Oh, oh, I'm going out. I'm going out. Like people just hate having their autonomy taken from them. And I don't blame them too to an extent, but Jesus Christ, some of these people are being incredibly irresponsible. I mean, I'm not saying that we don't go out. We do go out, but we yeah, stay but like, in the car. Yeah, but like once or twice a week and yeah. we stay in the car. We'll go through the Aroma Joe's drive-thru and get coffee because they're open for business. We don't get out of the goddamn car. Just fucking drive just to drive Yeah, and never get out. Or never drive get like out. yesterday, driving for hours to charge our phones. Yeah, driving to charge our phones, which you'll hear more about in our Patreon episode. Absolutely. Yes, but... <laughs> yeah, that's all I have. Do one more. I should do one more oh, review. Oh, you have one more? Okay. Oh, my God, I love the chemistry between these two. I'm binging away and I am not at all growing tired of y'all. So good. Cheers. Love, love from the Just Spilling It podcast. Thank you so much. Also, y'all's quickest way to my heart. Except when Southern people say, bless your heart, because that's the Southern way of saying, go fuck yourself. (laughs) Except my Grammy always used to say that growing up. So it took me a while to understand that that was the purest form of Southern sarcasm. Oh, I want sweet tea now. Do you? Yeah, I had a scoot, that little spoonful of ice cream, and now my sugar cravings are coming back, and I want everything sugar. That ice cream was good it was pretty good we got frozen custard from candy cacao creamery in turner maine and it was a blueberry frozen custard had real blueberries in it and it was pretty damn good but i want to take what i have left of the vanilla and put some mint mint extract in it and turn it into a mint milkshake i'm really feeling that right now but enough about me and my awful addictions i have some awful addictions too though because heroin not heroin but wherever crack food, food chinese food specifically everyone right now in the quarantine cuisine facebook group they're posting their homemade chinese food and i mean i made us fried rice tonight so i guess like that we was did it that too. wasn't very 
It wasn't very Asian. Asian. It was Asian adjacent because there was baby bok choy in it. Baby bok choy and there was some sriracha in it. Yeah, but everyone else is like making their own homemade crab rangoons right now. Yeah. Delicious. Yes, the quarantine cuisine is a thing of envy, but also a thing of inspiration. Shout out to people who are doing inspiring things, who are inside and still just going ham on their projects. For example, Holly, I see you making quilts and random things every day. You're always knitting and sewing stuff. I don't know how you just get yourself to do that every day, but that's pretty inspiring. I am so jealous of her baking. I know. Oh my goodness. That little little goth cake. Those little cakes are so cute. Oh my God. Yes, I forgot to mention the the baking too, but I I just feel in general, I mean, some people are able to do this more easily than others, but some people in the face of all this bad news and the coronavirus would have a hard time just sticking to their program and just pumping out thing after thing after thing stacking up wins and just project, 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 project. I even have trouble with it sometimes. So when I see people doing stuff like that, very inspiring. That, and I have to call it out because Holly is amazing. I don't know if we talked about this on a previous episode. If we did, I'm going to talk about it again. I don't care. So Holly out of nowhere just made six masks for my sister who she doesn't even know and hasn't even met because my sister works over at a supermarket and at this supermarket she could not wear a mask unless she had a mask for one of every one of her associates in her department because she's a department manager. What a crazy rule that is. And my sister has uh, psoriasis and because of that she is on an immunosuppressant. Yes. That's how you say it? Immunosuppressant, yeah. And gets completely sick. So where she's in the war zone right now at a supermarket, she's bound to get COVID. So shout out to Holly for making that like a less likely thing for my sister. Yeah, that's really damn cool. All all y'all mask makers, you're doing the Lord's work right now. But yeah, thank you, Holly, for doing that. That's damn selfless. Yeah. yeah. Seeing stuff like this, I expected to see a load of selfishness, and we did negativity. See that. We did. We and yes, there is some of that, but a lot of people have been banding together and doing a lot of positive things. I'm just getting random friend requests. People are being more cheery and less negative on Facebook. I mean, there's still pockets of that, don't get me wrong, with social media. But I just feel like people are more all right, I need to stop my bullshit because it's just about making connections now. There's all these groups like there's the quarantine karaoke and live streaming, and people are just making cover songs and people are like that. Damn, that's really cool. I'm a part of a couple retro great gaming groups. I don't get to game much anymore, but mm-hmm. just seeing people post about, oh, here's what I'm playing tonight, and everybody being like, oh, that's cool, and sharing their stories about that and just reminiscing. Just seeing people come together through the internet, it's really heartwarming right now. Bleh. Bleh, that's all I got. Yeah, that's all I got too. All right, well, let's go make milkshakes. Make milkshakes. Delicious. All right, we love you. We love you. Stay all safe. All right, bye. Bye.